Revelation is a good book to end on. At least the Bible thought so. Revelation is a daunting book, isn't it? It's one you read with a bit of trepidation. Um, it, 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 it's, it can be kind of confusing and difficult. But it's actually pretty easy to understand. All you have to know is uh, first century languages, culture, and history. And that's it. Um, if you know enough about empire worship and, um, and the, the, the history of the Caesars, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I'm reading through Revelation, I'm like, oh my goodness, what a shot at Vespasian, right? But we don't know that. And Revelation is actually the book that we can't get away with it without knowing those things. You can, you can read the words of Jesus, and they are timeless. They, they, they transcend generations. But they are deeper if you know the world in which he's speaking. Now, you can get a lot from Jesus just without knowing any of that. But the message gets uh, solidified and more serious the more we can understand what's going on what in Jesus's day so it it's okay that you don't know first century history when you're reading Jesus you can do without knowing about Babylonian captivity when you're reading Jesus but when you get to Revelation it's daunting it's tough because you've got to do a lot of homework just to read the book. It was written um, in a time whenever uh, they, they knew what was going on in their world and it was written to them about their world. And so they all understood it. You know, a lot of the times the way uh, Revelation is portrayed it, you would have to assume that the first hearers read it and said, well, I don't know what that's about, and then shut it and put it in the Bible. You'd have to assume, like, all the, ones, all the books on Revelation at the Christian bookstore are about how Revelation has something to do with America, and it's never like, I read Revelation, and there's some, there's some similarities with Uzbekistan, like, there, it's always our country that Revelation's talking about. It's a bit narcissistic, isn't it? But you read it in their culture, like, you, you read it with, with their history, with their culture, with their context in mind. It actually is pretty simple. But that's not why it's daunting. The difficulty of translating or, or understanding Revelation is not why it's daunting. The reason Revelation is daunting because once you do understand it, it asks you to do something that you're not ready to do. And I'm about to preach you a sermon that I've preached to myself for months. I've ran over it in my head for months. And so I want you to know that I understand what you're going to feel like sitting there. Because I felt like it sitting in my own chair for, for a couple months now. 
I knew this is where we were going to end. And I knew how difficult it is. But as Christians, we have got to stare it in the face and see it for what it is. I'm going to tell you a story about a couple. Let's call them Jack and Diane. Jack is an artist, um, writes music. Now, they, they live um, in the first century. Let's just imagine they live in Smyrna, which is a town, one of the seven towns that uh, Jesus brought up in the first of Revelation. Let's imagine they live in Smyrna. They, uh, Jack is a, is a musician. He is funded, all, as all artists are in that day, by um, someone who's willing to just pay him to be a musician. You can't sell CDs. If, you have, if you're a good enough artist, someone will just pay you to be an artist. Because back then they thought art was just worth, worth it to have it produced. <coughs> Diane bakes bread and sells it at the local marketplace. Diane is actually one of the only people who can contribute a good smell to the local marketplace. Most of the smells, you know, it's like a, a first century marketplace in Smyrna probably has a lot more... Um, it's like the opposite of Bed Bath & Beyond. No, ba Bath & Body Works, I'm sorry. You go into Bath & Body Works and you go, oh, this smells good. Oh, there's too much of it and you have to leave. That's just the rule. That's why no one ever, is ever in there. I just can't handle it. I'm, I'll, that's, that's the store I sit outside in most of the time because I just can't, there's too many smells. They're all great. I'm sure they're all fine. There's just too many of them. First century market's like the opposite of that. It's just like going in, it's like, what is that? Is that, is that animals dying and bread at the same time? There's, 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 there's pottery that's just been baked and, I don't know, like firmed up and it's still hot. And there, but there's another smell coming in that you probably wouldn't recognize. You might recognize it, but there's, there's one drifting through right at the gate. You're met with it, and it stays with you the whole time, and it's sulfur. It's because they've been burning incense at the gate to the marketplace all day. Every single person who comes to the marketplace has to burn incense. Just a little, small little thing. You light it on fire, you say, Caesar is Lord, and you move on. You acknowledge that Caesar is king and that he is a god. See, it wasn't but a couple of decades ago, maybe more than that, four or five decades ago, from when Jack and Diane are selling their goods and services, that one of the Caesars decided, um, you know what, I'm a god. And they've all just gotten to be gods. Since then, they've all claimed to be not just sons of gods, but gods themselves. And Diane, as she goes to the marketplace every day, it's just like clockwork, going and 
lighting your incense, burning a sacrifice. And they would do it like skating rinks did. You know, remember you used to go to the skating rink and you'd pay and they'd stamp your hands. Chuck E. Cheese now. Um, heaven forbid you try to go to that place by yourself. They're very judgy when you do that. But they stamp your hand. They put it on your hand, depending on the town. Some towns did hands. Um, but they, it kind of got tiring to just show it to everybody. Yes, I've offered my sacrifice. I'm legit to sell and buy and sell here. Because you had to offer sacrifice to Caesar to buy and sell in the marketplace. The mark on the hand. Or they would, um, if, if sometimes, in some places said, the, hand, the hand's too complicated. Some people are carrying things. Um, let's just put it on the forehead. When Jack and Diane decided that they were going to give their life to Jesus, and we all know it was Diane who went first, they ran into a bit of a dilemma. Because when you commit your life to Jesus, you are decommitting your life to the empire. To all others, who claim kingship. You don't get to acknowledge their kingship. You don't get to acknowledge their lordship. And Revelation is very harsh on those who have forgotten the throne of Jesus because the throne of Caesar is easier. Revelation is a, uh, as the story puts it, it is like, hey, we win in the end, God comes. But it is, a, it is a stern warning to those who have walked away from the empty tomb, who have walked away and decided, well, I know Jesus died and conquered death, but I just can't tolerate uncomfort in the face of oppression. And there were some who were there were some who were holding fast. There were some who would say, "No, I'm not doing it." Tradition says that uh, one of the disciples, Philip, I believe, was at the gate of Hierapolis, and they walked up, and he saw on the gate all who walk past under this gate acknowledge Caesar is Lord. And he stopped and he said, we're not going in. The, the Roman guard said, said you need to go on through the gate. He said, we're not going in. They said, if you don't go through the gate, we're going to crucify your family, make you watch, and then we're going to crucify you. And his response, history says, tradition says, is, I saw my Savior feed thousands. He died that day. And the, those who, on whom revelation is the harshest are those who claim Jesus and claim empire all at the same time. Then I saw another angel flying in midair. And he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. 
He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. A second angel followed, said fallen, fallen is great is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. These two angels said there's two things that are happening. Jesus is going to win and Babylon is going to fall. And you can't have one foot in one place and one foot in the other while one is exalted and one is destroyed. You can't straddle the line of Christianity. We have got to decide this day who we are going to serve. Are we going to serve the kingdom of God, the kingdom that lasts, or the kingdom of earth, the kingdom that falls? A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast, which is always imagery for, um, for Caesar, for the ruling empire, um, some people have made that like later, but the problem is, is anytime you find power, you'll find a beast. Anytime you put people in ultimate power, they always turn into beasts. So whether you want it to be like like this group or that group, you, you can always manipulate your current situation but it's always power, and for them, power was Ciro, uh, Caesar or Nero. I don't put too much stock in this, but if you take the um, the Hebrew letters that add up to six six uh, Nero, you can translate Nero into or Nero Caesar into Hebrew, and it takes it adds up to six sixty six. I don't take too much stock in that. I don't. I think they were playing. But like, let's not like get it. When your grocery bill is when you go and buy gum and beans, like whatever your wife forgot, and it's six dollars and sixty six cents. Don't buy Tic Tacs because that's an idiot's tax. I'm going to pay more because I don't understand my Bible, please. <laughs> um, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels. See how he's using the imagery of what they knew, like what they knew Caesar worshiped to be. When they gave in to the empire, it was an image, it was fire, it was sulfur, it was marks on the hand and on the forehead. When you give in to the empire, it shows. I may not have a mark on my hand or on my forehead, but have you checked my wall? Have you checked my posts? Have you checked my conversations? At the barbershop, at the at McDonald's? Are we for the kingdom of God or are we for the kingdom that will fall? And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. It's just this image of incense, right? 
There will be no rest for them day or night for those who worship the beast and its image. And for anyone who receives the mark of its name, this calls for patient endurance. This is the theme of Revelation. The theme of Revelation is you will suffer when you stand against power, but you must be patient and endure. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep His commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. Those who have struggled and, and, and fought against what the world is telling them to do, what the world is telling them to value, but they value the king. And when you value the king, you value the ones the king values. We see in the gospel, the king values the poor, the sick, the helpless, the homeless, those who are hurting. Jesus didn't rub elbows with the elite. He ate with the sinners. And we can tell ourselves, well, I don't really associate with them because I, I don't want to give the impression that I condone their sin. You can lie to yourself all you want about that. That's, that's not why we don't do that. Because we're bothered by those people. We're bothered by that particular sin. Because we got sins we're good at. We got sins we love. And thank God I'm not preaching this on potluck Sunday because we'd have to bring up gluttony. No one likes that on potluck Sunday. And my... When I grew up, you knew that if you came forward and said, I've been really wrestling with my anger lately. Your wife silently crying in the back. We would all come forward with you and stand with you and say, hey, I, all of us struggle sometimes. But if you came forward and admitted an affair, we would all just wonder who it was with. Some sins got passes and some sins didn't. And those people, the people who are coming forward and struggling with sin, they are hurting. And they need the church the most at that time. And instead, while they're getting divorced, we're asking who's the one in the right. I've dealt with enough marriages to know that every divorce, both of them are in the wrong. Both would tell you in mature moments, I, was, I made that mistake there. Now, some would tell you I made the mistake of marrying him, but still a mistake. But the, those people who are hurting, all of them, all of, those, all of the sinners of which we are among the group, we're, we're sinners right with them. You should, not, you should not hang out with yourself because people might start thinking you condone what you do. We lack elite status. And so the sins that don't bring us elite status, status bother us. And the sins 
that let it remain. Those sins align you with the kingdom usually, and it's not the good one. Jesus' words to these people who are struggling, and it's tough, it's really tough. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it's not hard, because it is hard. It's, it is hard to like be to, to, to decide I'm going to abandon completely the kingdom of the world and I'm going to give myself to the kingdom of God. I'm going to abandon what is, uh, what is easy and give myself fully to what is difficult. That is so hard to do. But Jesus' words, both at the beginning and at the end of Revelation, help us. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Those are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. I am the beginning and end, he says, Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. I am the Almighty. John later says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. This kingdom will fall. God's kingdom will not. Every single one, every single king that thought they were invincible falls. Every single kingdom that thinks they're impervious to ridicule or impervious to, to, to the enemy, they all fall and one king remains. One king remains. This is the message of Revelation. I'm not trying to like get up here and be political or anything like that. This is what Revelation is speaking to. And it, and it hits me dead center. Because I love my country. But I can't worship it. When I saw him, I felt, felt like I was dead. And he put his hand on me and said, I do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. That's the message of Jesus. This is what good Christians in the first century would say to people who would say, you know what? Jesus isn't Lord. Caesar is Lord. And they would say, Caesar is going to die. Jesus, and he's going to stay dead. And Jesus is going to beat it. Jesus already beat it. He was and he is and he is to come. He is the first and the last. He is living, the living one. He is dead and now he's alive. Forever and ever. And he holds the keys to death and Hades. Then I saw a new heaven. This is at the end. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven. And the first earth passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people and they and God Himself will be with them and be their God. This was uh, what was so beautiful yesterday. We decorated for a wedding, and then Cody Miller, this is uh, Todd Richards' neighbor, uh, got baptized, and they had to, you know, everything was uh, put up here. That's the first thing weddings do is cover our baptistry up. I don't know, but. Everyone kind of crowded around back and they were saying how neat it was that the, everything was decorated for a wedding because she was committing herself like that to Jesus. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for old, old, the old order of things has passed away. 
you might be struggling right now with your faith. But it's because your faith is in the old order of things. And you've somehow decided that that's Jesus, but that's not Jesus. Jesus isn't married to country. He's married to kingdom, his church. You may feel like I'm just, I'm worn out, I'm exhausted. This has just been an awful time. And you might blame God, but all the while you've got fear in your voice and sulfur in your hair. That's not the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom says, I know I'm following the upper story the whole way. The lower story, remember the two? In the story, in the story, it's, if you've read through the story, you'll see that it says the upper story is continuing God's doing things. And we've got these small little lower stories. And when people got in trouble, it's when they thought the lower story was the upper story and the upper story was the lower. We can't fall into that. Jesus goes on, or... I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. It is done is an odd translation of that. That word probably should say, like, it, it is happening. It has happened. It is, like, it occurring. Like, it, it's a bigger word than done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexual immoral, those who practice magic arts and idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Here's sulfur again. This is the second death. You don't notice here, he's not saying God is coming and it'll be beautiful. Now, here's a list of sinners that go to hell. Here he's promising that those who persecute, those who push, those who take advantage of the weak, they will not be where God finally reigns. They have no place in the kingdom of God. Those who persecute the weak have no place in the kingdom of God. So if you've shown up this morning Worked into a tizzy because the news told you you should be in a tizzy. I don't care what station you're watching. If they told you you should be in a tizzy, we follow the king of peace. We follow the one who has conquered death. We follow the one who the first century Christians followed to their death. It is in Smyrna, John, one of John's disciples in the mid-second century. His name was Polycarp. I'm sure I'm saying his name wrong. He sounds like a fish. <laughs> Polycarp was, was uh, told to profess that Caesar was Lord or be burned at the stake. And he said, go ahead and burn me. And then when they went to tie him, he said, there's no need to tie us. Jesus willingly stood on the cross I will willingly stand in the fire and he died 
because Caesar is not king. Jesus is. There is one throne, and I'm not on it. It's a man. It's a man from Israel. A man born in Bethlehem. Raised in the caves of Nazareth. Who wandered around Galilee. And started a revolution that will change the world. I just, I just can't follow Babylon anymore. And I can't confuse Babylon with Jesus. I can't be the one who says, well, you know, you got to kind of keep one foot in one, one foot in the other. I just can't come to the throne anymore. The smell of sulfur in my hair, I just can't do it. We will be free of that anger. Free of having to test someone's Babylon beliefs before I can test their Christian beliefs. Are you a good Babylonian? Are you a good American? Before I can even ask if you're a good Christian. That's tough. I saw a news report this morning that 72 children who were kidnapped all at once were just found and set free. Two are still missing. And I thought, my goodness, where did this happen? It was somewhere in Africa. I'll tell you, there's a sense of me that there's a part of me, a bad part of me that goes, oh, okay. And feels better that it didn't happen in the United States. That's a sin in me. A sin I will fight until the day I die. You're going to have bad thoughts. Just don't let them rule you. You can't be... Good Christians, there are boundaries that we have to pass on. And and sometimes it's going to go against being a good American. It is. That's just true. Unless we found the first government that's going to be perfect in all of its ways according to Scripture and according to the way of Jesus, and I'm not a student of history, but I don't think that's happened yet. We have got to choose the kingdom of God over the kingdom of Babylon whenever the choice is apparent. And maybe the choice is more apparent than we often think. Which kingdom are you a part of? This morning. Like Joshua standing here saying, who are we going to serve? Because if we meander away from the kingdom of God, if we meander away from the throne of God, we'll always end up serving the most powerful person who we think might could protect us from the here and now. We might make our life good right now. And in Jesus, we find persecution. We find hardship. We find loving people that were, that's difficult to love. And that is impossible. To get right, we will always feel like we've got it wrong.
But we've got to choose who which kingdom we're going to serve. And which one we're going to fight for and put our effort in. It's amazing the people who are canvassing politicians. Just out in the road like going, hey, are you going to vote? Going to vote? Going to vote? Going to vote? They're fired up, especially November. Thank God that's over. Oh, tired of Ted Cruz coming on my television. He's on my television. I'm not even voting for him. I'm just on Shreveport. He's advertising over there. Look at his face all the time. He's a politician. I didn't see it. I just didn't see any other ads for any other politician. That's all I'm saying. Just tired of seeing all of them. It's over. In two years, they're going to get you riled up again. And maybe the world needs less riled up politicians and more peaceful Christians. More Christians who can look at the world, the world that is burning around them, and go, Jesus is king. I will stand in this fight. Keep pointing to the one who truly can overcome all that is the world is worried about, Jesus. Keep pointing to Jesus. Who can rescue us? Jesus. Who can make it better? Jesus. It's only in Jesus that we find that hope. This is the hard message of Revelation. That power does not win in the end. Jesus does. Caesar does not win in the end. Jesus does. And the harder message for us is that when we stray from Jesus to power, we will fall with power. We will. Revelation is not messing around with that one. It talks about lakes of fire. And that's who it's talking about. I can guarantee you, that's me sometimes. That's been me in the past. And it needs to change in me. And it needs to change in you. Jesus, the name of Jesus needs to be on our lips. The name of Jesus needs to be on our lips because He is the King of King, the One, the Lamb that was slain, the first and the last, the One who has conquered death. And if the name of Jesus isn't in your life so that it can be on your lips, then we, we can do that this morning. The bride of Christ, you can join that wedding party this morning. Just give your life to Jesus. Be immersed in His death, burial, and resurrection. And let the name of Jesus be on your lips. But that's a, that's a choice that you're not just going to make this morning, but it's a choice you're going to make for the rest of your life. And if you need help making that choice this morning or next Monday, that you need prayers for next Monday, then please come forward while we stand and sing.